Welcome to Legalese. At Legalese, we offer you a diverse and civil perspective on current issues affecting America and beyond, inviting the smartest minds from Arizona and the country to politely discuss the things that matter in a Socratic manner. Our intent is to improve discourse and information dissemination in a time of hyper-partisanship and poor critical thinking. No one will be called names. No one's beliefs will be mocked. This is our response to recent and biased news content. We are here simply to deliver balanced and informative discussions about legal matters that affect us all, from yours truly, soon-to-be lawyers and current lawyers and journalists united. We offer you all of this without convoluted legalese, which is a word for fancy lawyer talk. We hope you enjoy the show. This is Amina Keshen Kamel, and you're listening to Legal Ease Podcast. This episode on the legal journey is quite a special one because we'll be hearing from Brian Potts, who has made waves through his transparency on LinkedIn and Twitter. And it all started a month ago with a post about his rejection letter from Perkins Coey back in 2002, his dream law firm, only to celebrate the fact that he is now a partner at that very firm. The caption was, law students, if at first you don't succeed, try again. The post quickly became viral and it didn't stop there. Several law students and recent law grads reached out to Brian for career advice and he not only engaged with them, but he continues to do Zoom meetings with them to give them advice and find them job opportunities. And his efforts appeared in Above the Law recently, where of course, the very giving Brian again offered his email for law students to reach out. So it's never ending giving with Brian. And this type of genuine and helpful engagement is rare. So thank you, Brian, for being a light in this world and in our legal community. So Brian has an impressive bio, which I'll be uploading on our website, but just to give a brief summary here, Brian is a business attorney, a litigator, an entrepreneur, and a writer who has advised a range of Fortune 100 and smaller clients, including startups. He's been involved in billions of dollars worth of business transactions, and he's invented the first and only computer keyboard designed by lawyers for lawyers called Legal Board. Um, Best Lawyers also recently named him Lawyer of the Year in the Energy Regulatory Law category for 2018. And on his spare time, and it's a surprise that he has spare time, he's a Forbes contributor, and his work has been published in Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, Politico, the Yale Law Journal, Harvard, and the list goes on and on. So Brian, welcome, and thank you for giving me your time today. I know you're very busy. Yeah, thank you. Um, It's always a little uh, weird listening to someone uh, describe your background and accomplishments. I always like, you could see me blushing probably. (laughs) And I'll leave the rest to you. Please tell us a bit about yourself. What got you interested in the law in the first place? Uh, Did you always know you'd go to law school and become a lawyer? Give us, give us the details. Yeah, sure. So no, I didn't always know I was going to be a lawyer. I'm, I grew up in Kentucky. So I grew up actually on a farm out in, in about 40 minutes northeast of Louisville, Kentucky. I went to college at a small school in Kentucky, and I had uh, probably too much fun my uh, freshman and sophomore year. So I started a bit behind in the whole uh, GPA realm, um, which is pertinent uh, in a minute when I talk about applying to law schools. So I finally, I think probably halfway through my sophomore year, decided 
oh, uh, just graduating from college isn't enough. I should probably um, apply myself a little more. And uh, I, I did better, but I think I graduated with a 3.1 or 3.2 GPA from college. And to be totally honest, I don't have any lawyers in my family. My, my step-grandfather was a lawyer, but he sort of came into my life uh, later in life. So I had no intention to go to law school. To be completely honest, I went to law school because I didn't want to work after college and I didn't have anything better to do. This was 2004 when they were handing out jobs like candy. So I was sort of like, why would I go work? I could go sit in a cubicle or um, I can go to law school. And a buddy of mine who was a year older than me so he had graduated, was at Vermont Law School, which is where I went to law school. And so I went up and visited him and I was like, what? I can go to law school in uh, like in the middle of nowhere in Vermont with a river running through the campus and you can hike up a mountain from the campus. So I was pretty sold and it was an environmental law school. I was interested in environmental issues. I have always been um an environmentalist, sort of mostly stemming from travel and college. So anyway, I went to, I got in, Vermont Law School was the only law school I got in. I applied to four different law schools, and I think I got waitlisted at Lewis and Clark, which is the big environmental competitor. And that was actually fine at the time because I wanted to go to Vermont. And, at the, you know, I went to law school and I, I really applied myself in law school. I did pretty well my first year, not like top 10, but definitely I think top 10%. And sort of that was the beginning of my journey as a lawyer. I did, uh, I was, I was a terrible writer in college. I always used to argue with all the English majors that it was a worthless, uh, degree to get an English, to be an English major, which I probably shouldn't tell you as a writer. Anyway, I, I sort of realized when I got to law school that that writing was important. Um, and I, I had literally been, I think I was in remedial English in college, my first semester with all the, uh, the this is true, so it's not just a generalization with all the football players. And then my second semester, I was still in remedial English, but it was mostly, again, having too much fun and not caring enough, I think. Um, so when I got to law school, I was like, okay, I have to be an adult. I need to, to actually try. And I really focused on my writing. I went to the extracurricular. There was like a writing tutor that was sort of separate from the law school. It was voluntary. And so I knew I was behind in writing. And honestly, I think that might have helped me because a lot of English majors and others had a hard time doing legal writing. And for me, I didn't have a base of writing. So I sort of, that's what I learned. Fast forward to my 2L year, that is when the infamous letter that has now gone viral out of nowhere on LinkedIn um, happened. And I was, you know, applying as everyone does in their 2L year of law school to get summer associate positions. I decided I was going to apply to every AMLAW 100 firm. Um, and I did that, and I received a form rejection letter from every AMLA 100 firm. At the time, it was like sort of a joke because I had this huge pile of paper of rejection letters. 
And then, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was driven by that. And I was like, I'm going to keep these. And maybe someday it'll be funny that I'll have a pile of rejection letters. I never actually thought I would work at one of those firms. But so it, anyway, I ended up with uh, only a few interviews and only in Kentucky at smaller firms. Um, and I ended up, the only offer I got was with my step-grandfather's law firm. He was a partner in Louisville, but uh, their environmental folks were in Lexington, Kentucky. So that's where I went. Um, and, you know, as a environmental lawyer working at a private firm in Kentucky, that wasn't exactly what I had planned, let's just say, when I went to law school. And one thing you, I didn't realize until you actually start practicing in an area like environmental law, a lot of what you do has to do with what the businesses are doing around where you live. And so when I went, it was literally, I think one of the first projects I worked on was tell us how to cut the top of this mountain off and get the coal and put the overburden, which is what they call the land above the coal in the creek as valley fill. And this was all legal to do, but it requires a lot of permits. And so I'm writing this memo about how to do essentially mountaintop mining. And I think that one was in West Virginia. And so, you know, sitting there and all the people were wonderful. I loved the firm. It was great. But I was sort of like, this isn't really what I want to do for my whole career. Um, So we ended up, my wife and I ended up leaving Kentucky and I went and got an LLM at Berkeley to sort of add some credentials uh, to my name and uh, thinking, you know, I was, I think one of only two US students in the LLM program at Berkeley. It was like 50 or 60 students in probably 30 countries represented. Wow. You know, it was an amazing time. It was really fun, The, the students were cool. But like U.S. students don't get LLMs unless it's like a tax LLM or at least back then they didn't. Yeah, I was about to say the tax LLM is very popular. <laughs> yeah, the tax LLM, you know, that's that's uh, and, and I do think, of you, you know, some U.S. students are getting LLMs from Georgetown and a few other places, but the vast majority was foreign students. So anyway, I, I'm. I got to hang out in Berkeley for a year. That was awesome. And I got an LLM and then I applied again to this time just to Chicago, but all the AM law firms in Chicago and Madison. Uh, and again, I, I think I got one interview at this point with an LLM from Berkeley, having worked for a year, uh, done, you know, done pretty well. And I interviewed at Baker McKenzie in Chicago, didn't get an offer and ended up at a regional firm in Madison. Yeah, and then, you know, in Madison, I met this regional firm, which was also, I wasn't unhappy. Um, and I finally, I think I was a third year associate at the time. I got a call from a recruiter, which I actually tell a lot of law students that I've been mentoring. And if you don't know when you're in law school, you should know that you will be most marketable three to five years out. It Something happens and it switches and all of a sudden, recruiters are calling you instead of the other way around. And at, at least that's been my experience and most of the people I know. So I got a recruiter calling me and I'd had many recruiters call me and I wasn't interested in moving away from Madison or leaving, but this recruiter said, it's for Foley, which was the only AMLA 100 firm in Madison. 
in Madison. So they were like, we are literally hiring for your job in Madison at an AMLA 100 firm. And I was like, well, I should at least probably talk to Foley. And uh, after a lot of back and forth and honestly soul searching, I decided to take the Foley job. Um, and it ended up being amazing, mostly because of the two partners I work with uh, were awesome guys and just a lot of fun and really good lawyers. And so that's how I broke into Amlaw. So if Amlaw was my third law firm. And then now I'm at Perkins Coie and I actually have rejection letters from Foley and Lardner too. I have two rejection letters wow. from Foley, <laughs> which is where I ended up making partner before I lateraled over to Perkins. What did, uh, what did your partners at Perkins Coie say? Like they, they obviously know the story. So I've gotten a lot of emails. Um, it's funny because I posted that letter, not, I mean, uh, almost as a joke, not really, but just sort of like, uh, this is funny that I have this and I'm a partner now. And like, and then no idea was going to obviously blow up. I, I think I probably posted five things ever on LinkedIn. I'm much more of a Twitter person myself, but, uh, yeah, I, I want a one partner who shall remain unnamed in my office was concerned that I would get in trouble with the firm. And that hasn't happened at all. It's been amazing. The support I've got, the CEO of the firm has emailed me. You know, the head of my practice group has emailed me. It's an incredible story. And if, if anything, it's, it's inspirational on all levels. So I think it's great that you posted this and gave so many people hope. You know, it really resonated with so many people. I mean, even the comments, there are like hundreds of comments under your post, if, if I'm not mistaken. So this yeah, no. And everyone has been like, I, I mean, it's, uh, if, if you know me, this is just, I just say what I think and I'm an open book. Um, so I, I guess it still sort of uh, feels odd to me that it did strike such a chord with people. But um, yeah, I've become a LinkedIn sage. I think people are searching for light, right? They're searching for hope. I think a lot of law students, and this is across all industries, but especially law students, I feel really bad for them because they're in law school or they're graduating and it, things aren't like they used to be. Uh, and I know, you know, people are concerned about the bar exam, the LSAT. So I think it's affecting, obviously it's affecting so many people and there's so much uncertainty. So when you see a post like what you posted, it it's really just... It, there was an innocence to it and such a great transparency. You're like, look, my rejection letter. Now I'm a partner at that same firm. And it, it's been like, what, an 18-year journey? Because that was back in 2002. I mean, that's, yeah. a, that's incredible. It makes me feel old, but yes, it has. And, but you, you definitely allowed us to be part of your history in that way. I feel like I felt like I was you know, reading this incredible novel, but it was just one post. And it yeah, just one sentence with one sentence. Yeah. So, you know, you've definitely touched the hearts of so many and have inspired many people. So that's incredible. Well, I mean, it, it just keeps uh, it, it's it's not it, the interesting thing is that it's so many people reached out to me yeah. without knowing me. Uh, I mean, hundreds of direct messages just like people being super nice and saying amazing things about me. And I was kind of like, I mean, 
touched and sort of like, wow, really? Um, and then I started talking, you know, I've, I always have, a th- have had a thing. And part of this is from the entrepreneur community. I've done a couple startups. You mentioned the keyboard, which um, is a whole different story. But I've had a lot of interactions with entrepreneurs and fundraisers. And in the entrepreneur community, if like an entrepreneur reaches out to you and says, hey, will you help me or meet with me or whatever? It's like automatic. You do it. That's just part. I noticed that, by the way, because I, I mentioned to you that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I have two startups that I'm working on, and the culture of the startup community is pretty awesome. I mean, everyone's open. People want to help. People want to be part of it. It's really different. It's it, I haven't really experienced something like that before. Yeah, exactly. And so I've I've sort of I've had that mentality for I don't know four or five years now, and I've benefited hugely from meeting with all these people and them giving ideas about the startups I'm working on and just their time. And, and so I've basically just automatically, if somebody emails me and says, Hey, will you meet or help me or talk to me? I always do it. Even if it, no matter who it is, um, which I probably shouldn't say on your podcast because now I'm just going to get more people. But, I know as if you're um, not already. That's all right. It's all right. I'm, I'm serious. I, it's, got me where I am today. So there's, you know, something it's obviously there's some benefit to me from it too. And, um, so a bunch of law students reached out in LLMs and I just said, sure, I'll talk to you. You know, I'm just one random guy in Madison, but I'll tell you what I know and I'll try to help you. And, uh, that has turned into now I have, I'm booked out through mid to late October with two meetings a day and I have 300 students and recent grads who are looking for mentoring advice in my email box right now that I have to respond to. (laughs) So I'm not sure I'm going to be able to meet with all 300. Um, However, it's also led to a hundred different lawyers and, and, you know, legal professionals and all over the place, some in Europe, saying they'll mentor law students. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Yeah, which is cool. So now I'm just like, instead of meeting with all of them, I'm essentially, I still do have to go through 300 emails and match up people to the spreadsheet of mentors. Startup Um, idea for you. What's that? A startup idea for you that just sprung to mind. Seriously, do this mentorship program. I'm telling like you were, I mean, you're. I mean, it's called, it's called the LinkedIn Legal Mentor Network. <laughs> exactly. Which, which um, I have enough, my wife will leave me if I start another startup. That's been made clear, like two startups and a lot. So I won't, rock, I won't rock that boat, but. Yeah, yeah, don't rock that boat. But, yeah, but. Um, and honestly, the cool part about it is that it's not for profit. It's not for anything. It's just no, it's people, not. It's people just, to it's do it. this. Yeah. And so, uh, and honestly, all the lawyers who've reached out to me are, have been amazing and they want to help. They've, you know, they've emailed me. Some of them have offered uh, to help me organize it. And so, um, so, you know, I will all 300 people get jobs from it. Probably not, but it's still a cool thing to do. And it's as lawyers, like there's not much we can do in COVID to help, but this seems to be one way to do something. Perfect. So my next question is why Perkins Cooey? I mean, it's somewhat random, honestly, that I ended up here. And that's because I'm in Madison, because that's where my wife and her family are from. And, and there are only, well, 
I think there are technically maybe three Amlaw 100 firms here, but really Foley and Perkins are the only sort of two that have a big office and presence here. Um, and I was at Foley and I was, I was happy at Foley. I made partner, I had clients. And then one of my clients had a conflict with Foley that, that was uh, a significant issue. And so basically the question was, do I keep a client that is a lot of my own work and my team's work or give that up? And I decided I can go across the street to Perkins and keep my client. And then when I got to Perkins, like I fell in love with this law firm. This place is amazing. Um, it's really, really, really well managed, which no one says about a law firm. I've been at four law firms and not that they were poorly managed, but lawyers just generally aren't good at managing. And so to be at a law firm where I feel like everything is fair, the, the way everything is set up is as good or better than I would do it. Like, you know, usually at law firms, again, in my experience, the every, every committee or something, you're always like, why are they doing it this way? And at Perkins, you're like, wow, how did they come up with this idea? So, um, so I'm super happy. I mean, I've been telling people and I sh probably shouldn't say this, but I, uh, it, you know, if Cravath said, we'll pay you double and you can stay in Madison, I wouldn't do it. Um, so, which basically tells Perkins they can do whatever they want. I'm not going anywhere. Well, that says a lot about the wonderful work that they're doing. I know I have two dear professors who are partners at Perkins in Phoenix, Arizona, and they were one of my, they were my favorite professors. They just, they knew what they were doing and they, they really exposed us to like the law firm culture. And it was really cool to see that as a 2L and a 3L. Uh, so Perkins definitely has a good, a good spot in my heart just from those early memories of law school and kind of getting eased into the practice of law if that makes sense so good on you and good on perkins for for having that impression on you so when did you first make partner you said that it was at foley then not at perkins yeah it was at foley um so like i said i can't i i lateral to foley when i was i think a 3l or three, three, three years out. And um, I ended up making partner the first year I could make partner. So the first year I was up for partner. Um, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. So, which was cool because like, I basically made partner in the fastest way you can do it. So I was 32 at the time I was. That's young. You know, which is, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I went straight through if you, you know, I already mentioned to you, but I didn't want to work at a college. So I went straight <laughs> through to law school, which also means you get out of law school and have to actually have a real day job uh, when you're younger. So I would recommend for all those people that are thinking about going to law school, taking a couple of years off between college and law school is not a terrible idea. I recommend that too. I mean, I went straight into law school when I was 21 and I graduated when I was 24 and I'm telling you, I probably would have been a much better <laughs> law student as a, an older law student, honestly, because of that maturity and that life experience. So I agree. Yeah, I, think I think it's for that reason. And also the you get those years in between college and law school where if you're going to go to law school, nobody cares what you did before law school. So you can work whatever jobs, you can go wherever you want, you can do pretty much anything you want and it won't impact your long-term career, which is, you can't say 
once you graduate from law school, people care about what's on your resume after that. So 100%. And what advice, well, I mean, you just gave advice, but what other advice would you give to recent law grads who are trying to make partner? Yeah, um, I, I mean, I have a spiel now, as you can imagine, that I've met with probably at least 30 recent grads or three L's or people looking for jobs. Um, I mean, a couple things. I don't think most people realize that, or at least as a law student, I didn't. The legal profession is not like every other profession. Don't just wait until there's job openings and apply for those. Spam everyone all the time. And I feel bad for the law firm partners whose email boxes are going to get filled up from this. But the truth of the matter is I have gotten a job at a firm that didn't have an opening because I emailed a partner there and said, hey, I'm going to be in Madison and I'm going to move to Madison and can I meet with you? And then I met with them and they made an opening for me. And so that wouldn't have happened. And, you know, you can't just wait and apply for, you know, openings. A couple other things that I think are pretty important is like almost all of the students I talk to say, oh, I really want to work in New York or I really want to work in D.C. And I don't dissuade. I'm not a person that would dissuade anybody from applying to anything. You should apply, 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 email, email, email. Don't worry if you don't get any response. It doesn't matter. You only need one job. Um, but the, the problem with New York or D.C. is that everyone wants to go there. And if you really need to be in that top five resume in the pile. And so let's say, and I just make this up, let's say you go to Duke, right? Or you go to even Arizona, right? The, the, you have to think about what are the other law schools in the geographic area you're applying to? How does your school rank compared to those? Because unfortunately that matters. And you know, how is your resume going to look in competition with other people that are likely to be uh, applying in that geographic region? So when you go to New York, like everyone at every Ivy League school is applying to New York. So standing out is going to be incredibly difficult. But if you're like, hey, I want to go to Madison, Wisconsin, I want to apply to Florida, right? Florida doesn't have a lot of uh, high ranked law schools or, you know, uh, anywhere in the South, a lot of the West Coast states. I mean, think about the law schools that are around the, the area where you're applying. And so that's sort of one trick that I think works pretty well. And if you, it comes back to the three to five years out of law school is when you are actually the most marketable. So you don't need to land your dream job right out of law school. That is just like highly unlikely you're going to have the same job that you get out of law school later. And so if you got to go to Topeka, Kansas for two years to get a good firm job in two years, you're going to be able to go wherever you want because you will have worked at a firm. You're going to say on your you know, resume, build, you know, 1900 hours a year. Everyone loves me. And now you're a known commodity and you can go wherever you want. I mean, I think and, and honestly, that's the path I followed. I worked at a firm in Kentucky. Not because I, I mean, I was from Kentucky, but I honestly didn't, wasn't focused on or wanting to go back to Kentucky, but I did because that's where I got a job. And then, you know, you lateral and end up where you want later when, uh, for whatever reason, everything switches around and now you're the hot commodity instead of, instead of begging for work.
that's excellent advice and I think people underestimate that plan and it's yeah. a great plan I mean just you're right go get the job get what's going to give you experience and grow with that experience and then in two to three years out of law school if you're not picky and you just get get the job where you can learn and grow then like you said three to five years out you can land hopefully that dream job that you want it doesn't have to be right out of law school in fact I don't think landing your dream job right out of law school is a great idea because you could be the best law student it is not the same as practicing it, it's not you know practicing law is a completely different world quite frankly and I, I think it's great to adjust at a firm where you can grow and not get judged and you know and you can maybe slip up now and then but if you go to a big law firm there's gonna be a lot of pressure on you I think right out of law school I mean I personally wouldn't want to do that so I think that's great advice start somewhere grow and then in three years when you actually have the expertise hopefully uh, you're the hot commodity and they'll come after you yeah exactly and I, I mean what I did and I still do today is sort of like take the next step what what professionally is going to make my brand my personal sort of like knowledge and resume and blah 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 which unfortunately is how lawyers are judged what's going to make that better what what can i do to you know and that was the same thing with the llm i was kind of in a you know wasn't knew that i didn't want to end up in in kentucky at this firm and i applied to just some of the top llm programs I got lucky and I got into Berkeley and I was like, well, this isn't going to hurt my resume. And so, you know, it cost me $50,000, but, uh, it, you know, I, it ended up being worth it in the long run. So if you, if you could give law school, Brian advice now where you're at, what would it be? Get better grades in college. Then you don't have to work as hard. I mean, honestly, I, I'm a, a, you know, a lot of people poo-poo the law school sort of rank thing. And I, I'm kind of one of those people because I feel like you get into law school based on how good you are in undergrad and how good you are in undergrad has absolutely nothing to do with how good you're going to be as a lawyer. So the idea that I went to Harvard Law School and therefore I'm better than somebody that went to Arizona Law School doesn't make any logical sense other than that person probably is better at studying, maybe better at you know test taking, maybe has a better memory, but those aren't things that necessarily translate into a better lawyer. What advice would you give to pre-law students, current law students, and recent graduates, especially and specifically during these uncertain times of COVID-19? Because I know there is this mass freak out right now in our community, especially for those who are starting out in their legal profession? Yeah, so uh, I, this is something I try to tell. I mean, the way I, I, I run, and I'm, you can't see me because you're listening, but I'm doing quotes, but the way I run my mentoring sessions, uh, which is a new thing for me, is basically I have them, the students give me the five minute spiel about themselves and what they want and where they want to be when they, you know, what do they want to be when they grow up? Where do they want to be when they, when they're, you know, uh, and fully, you know, settled. And, um, the one thing about COVID that is great. And I saw this with the great recession too, is 
they have an amazing get out of jail free card on their resume for the next until next summer. So basically, you can have a gap on your resume right now. And anytime 10 years from now, somebody's like, well, what were you doing after law school? All you got to say is COVID. And they're going to say, oh, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. Right. And so the point of that, yeah, I mean, the point of that, and that's definitely a glass half full sort of way to look at it. But the point is like, take your time. Everyone feels panicked when they don't have a job. They're like, oh, no, I went to law school. I'm going to be a failure because I don't have a job immediately after law school. That is almost never the case. Uh, I mean, I graduated from uh, Vermont, which is, you know, really good at environmental, but it's still a tier three school. Half of my class that I graduated with was in the bottom 50%. A lot of them had no jobs and a lot of them are doing really well now. So, you know, you're not made or broken based on the job you get right out of law school. And that's even more so now because of COVID, you have a built-in excuse. Um, So, you know, don't panic. Don't just take any job. Try to find a job that you'll learn from and you'll get, you know, and will be a step in that step up the ladder if that's what you want. What is your favorite part about being a lawyer? I mean, I, I love the idea that people give us, I mean, as lawyers, especially at law firms, people who are really smart, usually in-house counsel or business people have some issue they can't figure out that's complicated, that, you know, maybe involves a lot of money or not. But the bottom line is like a bunch of smart people have usually thought about it. And then they're like, ooh, we should go to outside counsel and see what they think. And then they pay us to essentially learn something cool and new and figure it out for them. And so the idea that we get paid to learn uh, is, is pretty amazing. I mean, it, it, you know, people look at it like, oh, it's work or it's homework or whatever. And certainly everything I research is not my favorite topic. But um, just the idea that we get to get paid to essentially sit in an office and think is pretty cool. I think that's the first time I've heard lobbying described as that. So that's really beautiful. I love that. That's a great way of framing it. I might borrow that um, yeah. when I'm hyping up pre-law students. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of being a lawyer and going to law school. I don't buy into this whole, like, it's not economic. We shouldn't have people go to law school. They, I, <laughs> I like to say they can't uh, make put you in jail for not paying your loans and they can't take back the knowledge that you learn. So at the end of the day, like education and learning more is an investment in yourself that you're never going to be sorry you made at 10 years down the road. And I also seriously doubt that you wouldn't be able to, that you won't, if you want to economically 25 years later, be able to justify your expensive law school. No, I agree. And, you know, the, the law degree itself helps in so many industries. I mean, I we discussed this briefly before the episode, but I'm a full-time writer and it's helped in every possible way, even in my industry now. So I, I, I would encourage anyone who's interested in law school to just go, go and get that degree. I'm, I mean, I'm with you and I know that's not the popular, popular opinion. opinion. Yeah. <laughs> so... 
we talked about this, you're also an inventor of sorts. If you'd briefly like to talk about Legal Board and what got you into that, or not, or if not, we can skip to the next question. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I, look, I'm always happy to talk about the keyboard and the other thing I'm doing. So I well, startups too. If we can tack on startups to this because this is kind yeah. of yeah. Like well, legal board is a startup. Look, it's yeah. right here. You can see. Oh, uh, I see it. This is beautiful. Yeah, I'll send you one. Um, oh, I'd love that. Yeah, it's um. It's so uh, yeah, I mean the the keyboard. Honestly, this all started like I've been writing and writing and writing to try to credential myself and writing op-eds. And it sort of dawned on me four or five years ago that like I'm spending all this time and it's really cool and people are reading them, but it's not actually generating any business or like doing anything for me. I'm basically giving my ideas away. Um, and so I was like, you know, I should try to think about ways that I could spend my time that might, you know, benefit me which sounds bad maybe but whatever Ooh, it sounds um, so i had this uh harebrained scheme of uh i was at foley and on network computers and which basically meant it wiped out your hotkeys every time you rebooted so i'm sitting there trying to insert a section symbol into a brief and i'm getting really pissed off that it takes me all this time with my mouse and then i look down and i'm like why don't we just put a key on the keyboard Look at all this keyboard, part of the keyboard that I don't even use, the number pad. I'm, I'm a lawyer. What do I need a number pad for? <laughs> and so I was like, this, this seems plausible. And so in typical lawyer fashion, I had like everyone except my wife, like every friend, all my lawyer friends sign NDAs. I didn't know anything about entrepreneur, but now I know that that's so not how you do it. <laughs> but anyway, I made everybody sign NDAs and my buddy in Madison was a, a computer hardware engineer and he made this little thing called a dongle, which is essentially just a USB with two plugs on each side. And so we hooked up a bunch of people's keyboards with the dongle and put stickers on the keyboards and played with different designs. And then, you know, a year from when I had the idea, we actually had keyboards in a warehouse and launched it. And like above the law wrote about it and it became like there's this ridiculous line i think that the tech writer for above the law wrote that was something like in all the annals of legal technology january 2017 will go down as the month of the legal board you know and it's he's like i've written tech legal tech articles for 20 years and never had anywhere near the number of hits as i've had about oh, this wow. keyboard. And honestly, I think a lot of people just thought it was ridiculous and funny, <laughs> but a lot of people bought it and a lot of people use it and a lot of people like it. Well, it's a great idea. I, I think you're humble. That's that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, it's my get rich quick scheme and I'm not rich yet, but yes. it's, uh, it, 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 it does. I mean, I love it and it's super useful. And so anyway, after that, it just, just kind of went again viral, the above the law thing. And so people were buying and I was like, man, this entrepreneur thing is great. I should do this again. So then the second one we started is a totally not legal, but um, more, uh, I, let's be honest, I didn't want to be a keyboard salesman when I grew up. So <laughs> this one is much more up my alley, which it's an app, which in, it's free. It's called Goods Unite Us. I'm actually wearing the shirt right now. Nobody can see. Oh, that's so cool. I yeah, can see it. Yeah, it says, awesome. but basically the app shows the political affiliations of thousands of brands and companies, including law firms. 
So we take all the FEC donation data and break it down across all the companies that own brands so that when you go to the grocery store, you can look up your soap and say, if I buy this soap, I'm supporting Democrats or Republicans. And um, and that's been a much, much different process, but it's going really well, too. We had to raise outside capital because like that kind of thing is a big it's a much different thing than selling a widget. And so, you know, we've raised, I don't know, almost two million dollars at this point and have over 100,000 monthly active users using the app. It's like really highly rated in the app store. So that has been super fun. And the purpose of that was mainly like campaign finance. The idea that uh, people don't know where their money's going and you spend a lot of money. And I don't care whether you're a Democrat or Republican, half the people that use our app are Republicans. Where your money goes matters. And if you're spending money with a company and they're donating it to the party that you don't agree with, you should be able to know that and put that into your you know, decision-making process. So, so that one is, you know, much cooler than uh, a keyboard. Is anyone covering that story and the app? Yeah, we've we've been written about in all kinds of. That's amazing. uh, I have to look it up. uh, Yeah. Like, I mean, Oprah magazine included us thing. So which is how we have users, you know, that and bustle. Um, But anyway, so, you know, the entrepreneur thing, and that's really how the, you and I were talking about this before the podcast, but like getting into the entrepreneur community is so refreshing compared to lawyers where not just because they're more normal humans, but um, also just because anyone will meet with anyone. Everyone is trying to help everyone else. You I noticed that it's really a, it's kind of a free for all. It's really exciting. You know, people get on yeah. board. Like you said, I mean, I, I mentioned to you, I, I'm starting to, I have two startups they're both apps and it, finding developers, a team of developers and just a team in general and volunteers has been like the easiest thing ever. People are yeah. on board and they're passionate and it's just, I've honestly never, I haven't experienced something quite like this before. Yeah. And I, I mean, I honestly think the reason lawyers aren't like that, and I've been thinking about this a lot because it doesn't intuitively make a lot of sense, but I think it goes back to the whole class rank competition in law school that like it's ingrained that we're all competing with each other for business and everything else. But the truth of the matter is like, I might be personally competing with maybe 10 lawyers in Madison total, right? Where I am in Madison, Wisconsin, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other lawyers that I could meet with and help that isn't going to have any detriment to my practice, but it's just, I think it's just innate. I don't know if it's competition or what, but yeah, the, the, so I've been trying to do the entrepreneur thing, which is somebody asked me for a meeting. I take a meeting and I talk to them and I try to help them and I, you know, see what happens. And now I have 300 law students uh, in my inbox. So now this makes sense because I'm like, this is so rare for the legal community. And I'm like, who is this guy? And, you know, when I saw all of this awesome things that you're just doing, you know, it's just, and it's, it's a range, a range of work that you're doing from inventions to you're a writer too on, on Forbes and a few other platforms. So it, it makes sense now that you, you have this entrepreneurship spirit going on. Are you familiar with Perkins Coie's Anti-Racism Alliance? 
they're on this roster of other law firms and it's a pretty cool initiative. I'm not sure if you knew about it. I mean, I've seen an email about it. I'm not involved with it, but it doesn't surprise me at all. Perkins is super uh, forward thinking about everything. I mean, it's a, uh, I guess one, it, just to tie it back to law firms and law students, you can learn a lot or you can guess what the culture of a law firm is like based on where it's headquartered. And so I have sort of, again, because I've been at four law firms, you know, if a, if a law firm is headquartered in, say, Cleveland, Ohio versus Seattle, Washington, you can imagine the culture difference that's going to permeate through the firm because usually it's the main office of the law firm that is sort of, you know, making most of the management decisions, not all, or at least historically was. And so, you know, Perkins is headquartered in Seattle and has sort of that Northwestern sensibilities, you know, be nice to everybody kind of thing. And so, like I said, I wasn't a part of that, but there's, I, I can't imagine us not doing that. Like that's just automatic in the culture of Perkins. Great work being done by you, by your law firm. Uh, thank you so much. I'm not gonna keep you anymore. We're gonna end on that question unless you have anything else you'd like to add. I, I'm really happy to be on your podcast and you know, it sounds like you've got a lot of amazing things going on too. So, you. and you know, if I'll say it again, if somebody wants to meet or if they want to join the LinkedIn legal mentor network, which is a name I just made up, <laughs> but um, it, you can email me at bpots at perkinscooey.com and I'll link you up with mentors. I might not personally meet with you just because there's 300 people in front of you, but I'm, I'm, we have a hundred mentors now and I can link you up with in-house counsel or law firm folks who are all, you know, probably as good or better than me as a mentor, and hopefully it'll lead to something. That's incredible. Well, thank you on their behalf, and thank you from me, too. I mean, thanks for making time to speak with me. We geeked out before the episode, too, which was awesome. So uh, you're, you are definitely just as awesome here in person as you are on LinkedIn, because you have quite the persona now on LinkedIn and you definitely live up to it. So um, thank you so much for everything that you do and just for being a light, seriously, in this community. Yeah. Well, thank you uh, again. It's hard to hear all those nice things about yourself and not blush, but um, <laughs> thank you. Of course.